Welcome to the Monroe Church of Christ podcast. I'm Derek Glover, preacher of the Monroe Church of Christ in Monroe, Wisconsin, and I want to thank you for joining us. I hope that you'll subscribe to our podcast, leave a comment or a review on iTunes, and share it with a friend, family member, co-worker, or someone that you think would be interested to know more about our Savior, Jesus Christ. Good morning to everybody. Good to have everybody with us today, and today is a, uh, a, a wonderful Lord's Day and a wonderful lesson because we're going to be concluding our study of the Sermon on the Mount, and we get to wrap all of this up after 10 or 11 weeks, uh, and I think that it's, it's been beneficial for me. I hope it's been beneficial for you, but I, I've gotten a lot out of just preparing for these uh, lessons and kind of getting back in touch with something that I thought I knew a lot about because we, we read it so often and we quote it so often and we feel like we, we're so familiar with this part of Scripture and yet to dive back in and to examine in its context the message of Christ and really the essence of his gospel uh, is, is beautiful. And so we will look back a little bit on what we have, um, what we have studied to this point and really, in broad strokes, Jesus in these three chapters, in this Sermon on the Mount, is offering another way. Uh, that doesn't mean a lot to us because as Christians, we've accepted it as the only way. And those of us who grew up uh, in a relationship with the Lord's church or around Christian people, we have maybe rarely considered another way to exist. But in Jesus' time, he was bringing something new. To people, He was bringing something almost revolutionary to people. And, and it was another way. It was a new way to God. It was the true way to God. He was opening the doors for all people. And not just Gentiles. That comes later. We, the, we're not even there yet. That's not until we get to the book of Acts and to Peter and Cornelius. But where he is right now is inviting. As we talked about the first week of this series, he's opening the doors and he's inviting people to be righteous. He is extending an invitation to those who have been marginalized, who have been shut out by the law and by the practitioners of the law, the religious leaders. And he's saying, no, this is for you to partake in as well. This is for you to be a part of as well. And it's not by lowering a standard to make uh, people more acceptable, but by the power of Christ's blood raising them up to God's standard. That's what he's uh, reminding He's reminding people that the law does not save you. And he encourages us to let our lives reflect him who does save us. Those who are shut out will be let in. Uh, that, is the, that is one of the basic messages of the Beatitudes, specifically, at the beginning of this. And throughout the Sermon on the Mount, there is this theme. This uh, is echoed quite frequently in some of the New Testament writings and also the stories that Jesus would tell. He tells stories about uh, a, a banquet that is prepared and, and nobody shows up. And so the, the person, the host, sends his servants out and has them just collect people off the street. The people who were considered outcasts, the people who weren't invited, the people who didn't have a place at the table, the others abandoned. They had excuses. They wouldn't come. And so the door is open for those who were once let out to be let in. The principle that the last shall be first and the first shall be last. Jesus teaches this principle. The idea is that God has enough room for everybody in his kingdom. 
And Jesus and the power of his sacrifice that he'll later offer is strong enough to give everyone a seat at the table with God, with the Father. Going beyond the law is a theme that Jesus illuminates in the Sermon on the Mount. We see after the Beatitudes, he talks about the difference in what he is encouraging people to do and what the law requires. He talks about praying and how we pray, fasting, how we go about engaging in intimate relationships with God, whether it be through fasting or prayer. He's saying, keep that which is between you and God, between you and God. Be sure to protect your personal connection with Jesus. As much as our community matters, our personal relationship matters too. That's, that's been an eternal balance, balancing act for the church. Because there are those that are critical of um, organized religion. And one of the criticisms is, you know, I don't need a church to have a relationship with God. That's true. You don't need a church to have a personal relationship with God, but a personal relationship with God does not necessarily mean that you're going to receive all of the benefits of that relationship. Some of the, some of the blessings of our relationship with God come in the form of our community. And so we've always had to find this balance. How much of our relationship through Christ with the Father has to do with uh, our community and how much of it is in us. It's a little bit of both. I am better as a part of this community because of my personal relationship with God, but my personal relationship is much stronger when my community around me is strong as well. And Jesus recognizes this, and he says it's important to have that community, but your personal relationship matters too, and you must protect it, you must nurture it, you must care for it, and that means you don't let those moments be put on public display. Go beyond the law. Go beyond the requirements of the law. He talks about murder versus anger. Adultery versus lust. He talks about how we keep the law not just in our actions outwardly, but in our heart inwardly. What the law was designed to do was to change the heart from the outside in. What Jesus does is change us from the inside out. And he's beginning to lay the foundation of that idea in the Sermon on the Mount. Live your life for God, not man. That's another message of this sermon. Trust God for the rest. Do what you do in, your, in the practice of your faith and trust that God will meet your needs. That he will meet you where you are and to carry you the rest of the way. Focus inwardly and allow that to develop you outwardly. And he talks about judgment of one another. How we... Uh, see one another and how we pass judgment and the standards we hold one another to and what our role is in holding one another to a standard. That's a troublesome thing in the time he's speaking in because there was a religious establishment whose job was just that, to hold people to a standard. They were the spiritual police and they watched to see if you kept the law and if you broke it just a little bit or if you broke it a lot or if you had some technicality. They, they were careful with uh, their practice of the law. And Jesus says, don't get into that business. Focus on yourself. Focus on your relationship with God. Make it the best it can be. We'll, we'll hold one another accountable. There's a place for holding accountability with one another. But we don't pass judgment on one another. We don't have the right to say, in many cases, 
the state of another person's relationship with the Father. I might think that what you're doing is not wise or not in keeping with Scripture, and I have a certain way that I have to go about explaining that or telling you that or walking with you in that, but it's not my job to tell you that you're lost if I think you are. And it's not my job to speak for God. It is my job to allow his words to speak for himself and to live the best life I can live and not hold a standard upon someone that God does not hold. Uh, the intimacy with the Father extends in the next section of the Sermon on the Mount where Jesus talks about asking, seeking, and knocking. We have a loving Father, a giving Father, one who cares for us. And the relationship with him should truly be that of father and child. That whatever we need, we can ask for. Whatever is required for us, he will give. And he will give it better than anyone else when we need it. And last week, last couple of weeks, we talked about guarding ourselves from the voices of this world. The many different voices that, we, that are competing for our attention. We talked about being careful, being discerning about what we hear. Jesus talks about false teachers, false prophets. They come preaching a different gospel and they are wolves in sheep's clothing. This world is full of deception and it's full of lies. And we have to know the difference. We have to be able to discern what is true and what is not. That seems harder today than ever. And it's not because this world is any worse than it used to be. It's not because this world is any more evil than it ever has been. But there certainly are more tools at this world's disposal for amplifying voices. And because of that, sometimes it's really hard to know what's true. It's really hard to know what the facts are. We, we struggle with that every day. As we face some of the, the turmoil that this last year has provided us, it's hard to know what's true. We read about studies on viruses. We read about what the best recommendations are for keeping ourselves safe. And some, some studies say one thing and some say the opposite. We don't know what to believe. We don't know how to interpret these things because there's so many voices. We hear about riots. And we hear about uh, death and killings. And there's two sides to every story. And, and there's more than that some days. We don't always know what the truth is. Because the world is deceptive. And when it comes to our soul, when it comes to eternity, when it comes to our relationship with God, we must be discerning and careful. And the best way to know a lie is to have intimate knowledge of the truth those that work in the financial banking industry that handle cash on a regular basis. They have to be trained to spot counterfeit bills. Uh, you've all maybe paid with a, a larger bill at a convenience store and watched them use that marker to mark it. But people that work in banks or in financial institutions that are handling money all day long have to be able to see at a glance and know what's real and what's fake when it comes to paper money. Do you know how they train that? They don't sit you down in a room and show you all the different parts of the bill that, that will let you know if it's real or fake. They don't show you counterfeit bills and let you study them. They handle the real thing all the time. That's how they train it. 
Look at the real thing as often as you can. They handle real money, authentic legal tender, and then when the fake ones come through, they're more easily spotted. That's how Jesus is calling us to live. Get to be intimate in your knowledge of the truth. Get to know me, Jesus says. Get to know my words, and then you'll know the lies when you hear them. We shouldn't have to stand and compare what Jesus says with what someone else says. We should know the truth through Christ. Put it in front of us regularly. Study it. Know it. Write it on our hearts, the Bible says, and then that which is false will stand out. As we reach this point, these final passages in Jesus' Sermon on the Mount, each part, which we tend to chop up and segment, you know, we do, if we hear sermon series on the Sermon on the Mount like this one, admittedly, we chop it up a little bit and we deal with each issue individually. I hope that maybe I've woven them together a little bit better. Sometimes it's easy to, to kind of compartmentalize this, the Sermon on the Mount. Well, we have the Beatitudes, and then there's the stuff about, you know, murder, and I, you've, you've heard it said, but I say, and then there's the parts about praying and fasting. Yeah, those are all good in and of themselves, but they're part of a larger idea that Jesus is putting forth. I hope that that has become evident. And each part builds upon the part before it. Very logically, very rationally. A lot of New Testament writers did this. It shows great intelligence. It would have been considered to be from someone with great authority that they could speak this way. Even in the Jewish culture... And even in the Roman Empire, there was a great Greek influence. Uh, the great Greek thinkers, the philosophers, they had influenced over the centuries this part of the world. Uh, a lot of that happened during the intertestamental period where uh, Greece came to, to be a great power and spread a lot of influence through that part of the world. And now we have the Roman Empire, but still built upon some philosophies from Greek culture. When Paul writes, you see it very clearly. When Jesus speaks, you also see it clearly. And it was the, it was the evidence of a well-educated person that they would build an argument in a logical fashion. Uh, when, when, you go to, uh, when you study forensics in school or uh, if you go to law school and you learn how to build an argument, it's all based on people like Aristotle and Plato. And, and it builds layer upon layer a logical argument that walks an audience through something. Paul does it. Other New Testament writers do it. It's one of the evidences that, uh, regarding the, the author of Hebrews. We still don't know who it was, but it was someone with great academic uh, strength because of how that writing is structured. Jesus does the same thing. Within his culture, in this time, he would have been considered by his spoken word to be highly intelligent. That's why people listened to him and were amazed. How does this guy with no formal education speak like one of the educated elite? That's what they struggled with when they heard him. And that is how the Sermon on the Mount is built. It's developed with some foundational things. And it concludes here with a very logical conclusion. As Jesus walks us through the idea that there is a world, there is a, a, a life, with God, waiting for those who would earnestly seek him and would humbly accept Christ, then that leads us to other things. 
that we live a life that goes beyond the law, that we live a life that comes from the inside and, and then projects outward in how we live, that we need to protect that relationship with Jesus. And ultimately, ultimately we have this given to us. In verse 24, we'll pick up where we left off. Therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine and acts on them may be compared to a wise man who built his house on a rock. And the rains fell and the floods came and the winds blew and slammed against the house and yet it did not fall for it had been founded on the rock. Everyone who hears these words of mine and does not act on them will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. The rain fell, the floods came, the winds blew and slammed against that house and it fell and, it, and great was its fall. When Jesus had finished these words, the crowds were amazed at his teaching, for he was teaching them as one having authority and not as their scribes. The amazement exceeded even that which they had for their own teachers. And what was he saying to them in these words? The ultimate conclusion of this sermon. You have a choice. We have a choice. Now, if, this, if, this were, if he was doing this sermon today uh, in, in, in modern churches of Christ, it would have ended with as we stand and sing. But this was before all that. So he ends with an invitation, though, nonetheless. He ends with an invitation. You have a choice. You can hear my words. You can live by them. You can act on them. Or don't. Those who do will have wisdom and by their wisdom, they're going to be saved. Notice in the scenarios he gives the wise man and the foolish man, the storm comes. Sometimes we think those who are wise avoid storms, right? Those who are are smarter, who are wiser, they just don't have problems in life. Jesus gives a scenario. You've got wise men, you've got foolish men. Both of them are going to go through storms. The difference is, what happens when the storm is over? What is left behind after the storm in life? For those who are wise, their house stands. There is a strength. There is a predictability. There is the knowledge that when this storm is over, I'm still going to be here. Because my foundation is in Christ. And for the foolish, they don't have that expectation. They don't have that security. They don't have that predictability that when the storm is over, they're going to make it through. Because they have shifting sand beneath their feet. They have weak foundation. They're not grounded and anchored in the Lord. And there's nothing left when the storm passes. Sometimes, uh, I've heard it said, I don't know how people endure difficult times in life without a church family. And I would agree. Some of the things I've witnessed people go through, some of the things I have gone through, I don't know how people do it without that connection. I'm sure they can in their own way, but in truth, when it comes to the things that matter, when it comes to eternity, there is only one way to ensure that you are protected against the storms of life. And that's to be anchored in the Lord. 
grounded, founded in Jesus Christ. That's how he ends this sermon. That's how he concludes all that he is saying. And that is how he delivers to the people and through the written word to us his gospel. The essence of who Jesus was. The door is open for all. I am the way. And you have a choice. You can go on living, going through the motions, trying to meet the bare minimum of what you think God requires of you. Or you can let Jesus live in your heart. You can have an intimate personal relationship with God through him. And you can live according to his law. And when the storms come, you can be confident that you will be whole on the other side. While the rest of the world is crumbling around us, while the rest of the world struggles with shifting sand, with bad news by the minute, we can have confidence that we will be okay on the other side. Because we have Jesus Christ. What a beautiful, beautiful message that Christ delivers given the context of it, and in fact, timely, in that the context today is not much different. What a beautiful message from our Savior. That we have a home in heaven, and He holds the key. And if you need to serve God more faithfully, if you need to hold on to the will of God more truthfully, if you wish to be guided by Christ in ways that maybe you get distracted from, if you're worried that your foundation is not strong, this morning there's an opportunity, as there is every day, to get back on the path of righteousness and faithfulness to God through Christ. If you need to become a Christian, give your life to God through Christ, that opportunity is always available for you. We hope you take advantage of it as we stand and as we sing together. Thank you for joining us for the Monroe Church of Christ podcast. We hope that you have found today's message to be uplifting, inspirational, and encouraging. Most of all, we hope that it helps you along your spiritual journey. If you have any questions or comments or would like to drop us a line, you can do so at monroewicoc at gmail.com. We look forward to hearing from you, and we look forward to you joining us next week.